we're in week four of this series that we call in How to Live Through a Bad Day. And how many of you know sometimes bad days last a little bit longer than a day, right? Sometimes they last a week, a month, a year, a decade. And, and some of you are like, man, my whole life has been bad. I don't know what you're talking about, right? No. Sometimes they last a while. And you know that, that bad days are on different levels, too. You have different levels of bad days, like, like when you're craving Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. That's a bad day. Come on, y'all. I got my Chick-fil-A crew down here. Y'all, it's a bad day when it's closed on Sunday. That, that's a bad day. But another level of a bad day is when you're late for a meeting at work or you, you miss a deadline at work. That's a, bad, that's a bad day. You're thinking, man, it's going to show up on my eval, and I'm going to get dinged and points against me. It's a bad day. But another kind of a bad day is it's a whole nother level when you, when you get diagnosed with something out of the ordinary, out of the blue, and you, man, it, it catches you off guard. It's a bad day. Or maybe your spouse serves you divorce papers. It's a bad day when that kind of thing happens. So what we're trying to do is study how Jesus handled it because, you know, Jesus went through a bad day. He suffered some things, and, and his bad day was on what we call Good Friday. And our theme verse for this whole, this whole series, the four weeks today and the next three weeks, our theme verse is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this. It says, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. When you're going through the bad day, when things aren't going right, focus on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. He, he has been where you're you at right now. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He, he's dealt with it before, and he finished the race. And I love this part, study how he did it. Man, if we're going to make it through it, we got to study how Jesus made it through it. What did he do in his bad day? See, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He never lost sight of it. And because he never lost sight of it, he could put up with What? anything, cross, shame, whatever. And right now he's right there, right alongside God in heaven. The Bible says in another translation that he's, he's making intercession for us. He's, he's right at the right hand of God. And so what we're doing today is just studying how Jesus made it through. So um, I want you to imagine with me real quick this bad day for Jesus. It's uh, it's Good Friday, and 9 o'clock in the morning, he's finally crucified on the cross. He's hanging on the cross, beaten and bloodied, bruised. He's, he's, he's alone and abandoned. He, he f- wants his Father's presence more than anything, but God has kind of just turned his back on all of the sin that he's carrying upon on himself. And so Jesus feels abandoned. Everybody else who is there, there's, there's John and the, three, and the three Marys, but everybody other than, other than John and the three Marys, they're hurling insults. They're, they're mocking Jesus. They're, they're saying things like, man, you say you're the Messiah. If you are the Messiah, then come down from the cross. Save yourself. If you really are the Son of God, you could do that. And so they're insulting him. They're, they're mocking him and, and calling him names, and, and, and they're, they're just... I can't even imagine. It's just so, this picture that I have of Jesus hanging on the cross, insult after insult, word after word, cutting him down. Nobody else is doing that. I mean, Mary, his mother's there. She's weeping. 
She's crying out for her, her son. Her sister's there crying out for her nephew. Mary Magdalene is there crying out for her friend. John is there. His best friend is there crying out for his friend Jesus. Everybody's insulting them, mocking them. He's hanging on the cross. In this moment, he's beaten. He's mocked. He's abused. 12 o'clock in the afternoon rolls around. He's been on the cross for three hours. Jesus is hanging there three hours on the cross. And at 12 p.m. in the afternoon, the Bible says that a violent earthquake shook the land and and the sky went dark. The earth, the one translation says the entire world went dark. And when you begin to study it, you see that it was in fact true. Whether it was an eclipse or a miracle from God, the, the earth went dark for three hours. And Jesus is hanging there on the cross from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the afternoon when he finally utters these words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? And this is a statement that I think most of us can identify with. It's a question that most of us can, like, like we've, we've probably said it. We've probably said, why God? Or at the very least, we've wanted to. Do you know what I'm saying? We wanted to say it, but maybe your upbringing in church didn't allow you to, to question God. You weren't allowed to express your true feelings to God. It wasn't right. I know that's how I was raised. And so Jesus, in this moment, he teaches us that it's okay to question God. He teaches us the most human thing that that Jesus ever did was question his father. And so in this moment, in his worst moment, he teaches us the fourth lesson, and that's this. Aim your hard questions at God, not man. When you're going through a bad day, when you're frustrated, when things aren't working out like you want them to, aim your hard questions at God. He's the one who can answer them, amen? See, in our human ability, we might be able to sympathize with you. We might be able to analyze with you. We might be able to empathize with you, but we can't give you all the answers. Only God has the answers. So in your, in your weakest moment, in your bad day, aim your hard questions at God and not at man. Because God can handle it. He's a big boy. Can I get a witness? He can handle your hard questions. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your confusions, your pains, your concerns. He can handle that. So uh, several months ago, I guess back in August of last year of 2018, we met a young lady who uh, came to one of our startup parties uh, Uh, But we met her through the Chamber of Commerce, one of the leads groups through the Chamber. She came to one of our startup parties, fell in love with the church. She and her husband started serving. They they, they began giving and tithing right off the bat, just just jumped in wholeheartedly. And one day she came by the house, and she just began to open up to Annalise and I about the worst day of her life. And I'm just sitting there like, man, I've never heard something like this. This is incredible. I've I've never known somebody who's gone through something like this. And as I was developing today's message, I, I just thought about her story, and I, I asked her if it'd be okay for us to share it. So I, I want you to help me welcome Allie to the platform today. She's going to help share the worst day of her life. So tell us a little bit about, um, about this day. Like, like, just share the story with us. 
So, um, like Ben said, one day I was just sitting in their living room and um, the worst day of my life happened about 10 years ago. And last year when I felt convicted to share that story, um, I realized I had not shared this with anyone in eight years. Um, I'd kept it all to myself except for the people present. So um, as I begin to share the story with Ben and Annalise, um, like I said, it happened 10 years ago. I was 16 years old at the time. Um, the day was kind of like today. It was in April, um, beautiful weather in this, it was in the pain handle, so it was much hotter in the 90s maybe. And uh, I was in a town, maybe an hour and a half away from my hometown. And I was just hanging out with some friends and we went to a baseball game. After the baseball game, there wasn't a whole lot to do in a farming community. So we just said, oh, let's go drive out in the back country roads. We'll listen to some music and hang out. So we left the baseball field, and and I was driving. I had borrowed my mom's car for the day, and uh, we headed out, and we were about 20 miles outside of town, and, you know, the music was blaring, and we're just having a good time, and all of a sudden, there's a huge crash uh, sound to to the passenger side of the car, and then something completely shatters the front window. I slam on my brakes, and I go to get out, and when I stepped outside the car, the only thing I saw was the bicycle laying on the hood. I looked around, and and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little boy standing in the road. He's about 10 years old, and he's just standing there looking at his hands, not crying, not even talking, not moving, just looking at his hands. And so I run up to him, and I said, hey, buddy, are you okay? What, What hurts? And he pointed to the road rash on his hands and said, well, this burns a little. And I said, okay, great. Well, um, you know, and I'm, I, in my head, I'm just praising God. Oh, thank you. He, he's not severely injured. And so the passenger, I told him, I said, hey, go run. Go find someone that has a phone to call 911. I'm at 16. None of us had cell phones at the time. And, and uh, the closest house was about two miles away. So he just takes off running. Um, like I said, 20 minutes outside of town. And so I looked at the boy and I said, hey, let's go sit down. Let's wait for your mom and for help to get here. And the first thing I remember after that is the other, the friend who was in the back seat, and she just starts screaming as loud as she can, just screaming. And so I looked down at this boy, and he had turned around to walk to the side of the road, and the back of his head was gone. All of this stuff was kind of hanging out. And so I told him, hey, I'm going to wrap my hands around your head, and we're just going to sit here, and we're going to wait. He kept telling me over and over, hey, I'm really tired. You know, I'm ready to take a nap and I'll wait for my mom to get here. And I just said, nobody, you can't go to sleep. So we talked about what he had ate for lunch that day, what his parents' names were, um, who his favorite superhero was. And we just talked and talked. And, and then about 18 minutes in, he just went lax in my hands. And uh, At 16 years old, the only thing I knew about uh, first aid or CPR was what I saw in Grey's Anatomy, and that certainly wasn't a whole lot. So I laid him down. Um, I took my hands away from his head, and I started doing chest compressions. That was the only thing I knew I'd seen people do. And and about the third chest compression that I had pushed on his chest, I realized that every time I pushed down, the more that came out of his head. The last words he ever said were, I'm so sorry for messing up your car. In weeks, months, years after the accident, 
you couldn't convince me that everything happened for a reason and that, that good things come from bad situations. I was so angry, and mainly I was angry at God. And I yelled, and I screamed, and I, I pleaded with him. Why? Where were you? Why did you let that happen? Um, over and over again, most commonly I asked him, why didn't you let me save him? When things were going good after the accident, I praised him. I thought everything was okay, so I praised him. But then when things were bad, I blamed him. It was all his fault. Because he can do miracles, but he wasn't there. Why, where was he? And I was so angry. I wrote a letter to the family every day for a year. And a year later, I was staring at 365 return letters unopened. And I decided that from this day on, I was done. I was done feeling all of it. I was tired of, of trying to cope with it all. I just wanted to shove it all in a box. So I took the letters along with what I thought was my feelings and I, I put it in a box to lock away. About two years later, I woke up one morning. Um, I'm about a few weeks from turning 18 years old and uh, I woke up feeling funny. I felt, hey, there's something wrong. I, I'm feeling kind of sick, but I just thought maybe it was the bug. So I went to school. I'm in one of my English classes. Uh, the, the teacher said, hey, I'm gonna call a nurse in here. You're not looking so great. Um, the next thing I remember, I woke up in a hospital in Dallas, Texas, which was six hours away from my hometown, with my family surrounding me and, and doctors telling me that, hey, your heart's been failing for a couple of years now, and we're gonna need to do some surgeries, and, and it's gonna be a long journey ahead. So years went by, um, living in and out of a hospital, two heart surgeries, more medication than what you can find in a pharmacy. And uh, I, I decided I'm done, you know? I wasn't ever angry or sad that I was sick because it almost kind of felt like an eye for an eye kind of thing. I just thought, hey, this is, this is what I get. So I discharged from the hospital and we went home to be with the family and, and just to live the quality of life that I wanted um, for as long as I had. And, and so there came a phone call and the doctor's like, hey, Allie, there's a surgery I wanna try. Um, it, it may not work, but it may be able to take some of the pain away that you're feeling um, and the exhaustion. And so I thought, all right, one more surgery and then I'm done. So I had gotten married within this time. And um, so my husband and I loaded up in our car with our families behind us. Um, and we were driving to Dallas. It's a six hour drive. And, and on the way there, you know, we were talking about some of the things that you just don't talk about, but I was trying to convince my husband to marry someone after me. And, you know, we were trying to talk about all those things. And um, Trevor finally said, well, Allie, is there anything that you want to let off your chest? Is there something that you just want to let go of? And that's what I thought about, that I just wanted to let go of all the weight and all the pain and the guilt and the shame of what I did. And I just told him, hey, I want to forgive mainly myself, but every, to forgive God, I want, I just want to let it all go. He prayed with me in that car ride, and, and I just felt so much release just saying, hey, it's not mine anymore. I'm giving it back to you. I'm so sorry. I was so angry at you. And uh, we showed up to the hospital um, a few hours later, and we did all the tests and, you know, got ready. And when I thought I was about to be wheeled back to the operating room, um, the surgeon and all the nurses come in with this funny look on their faces like this just, I thought, oh man, this is it. I'm not even going to make it to the operating room. Like, I'm dying right now. Look at their face. 
And Dr. Franklin sat down next to me and he said, Allie, I can't explain it, but you're no longer in heart failure. And at that moment, I knew that all this time I thought God was trying to punish me, but he really just wanted to save me. I just had to let him. I had to choose to forgive and to let go and to give it all back to him. I had eight years of distrust in God and unforgiveness and guilt and shame. And the second I let it go, I had a relationship with Jesus that I never knew was possible. A healing that I didn't think I deserved. But because of him, I found the freedom that I have today that I can sit here and tell this story for the first time in 10 years. God can do anything I realized in my life if I just choose to let him instead of holding it all on my shoulders and trying to fix it all on my own. It's just amazing what he can do. Yeah, yeah give her a hand. <clears throat> you may never go through something like Allie has been through. You may never experience the dimension of depression that Jesus had on the cross. You may never have to walk through that, but I, I can tell you that all of us at some point in our lives have wondered why God. We've had that thought. Why God? And so it, it's okay. I want to I tell you it's okay to have that thought. It's okay to question the Lord. And I want to just talk to you about something real quick. What do we do when we're in that why moment? What do we do when we feel abandoned, when we feel forsaken? What do we do when we feel like God is a million miles away? What do we do when we feel like darkness has set in and that, that God's nowhere near us? What do we do when we're asking why? And so I wanna give you four things that I believe God's calling us to do when we're asking why. And the first thing in your notes is this. During the why, when you're asking why, trust during the tragedy. Trust him during whatever it is, whatever moment, whatever bad day, whatever season it is that you go through. And I know some of you, maybe life is good right now. And you're thinking, dude, this doesn't apply to me. I'm proud of you that, that right now you're going through a great moment. But there's probably going to come a time in your life when you need to just look back on these notes. So you got to trust God during the tragedy. you got to trust his nature. See, I grew up in a church where... God wasn't a good God. He was a cosmic killjoy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like he was waiting for the moment when you mess up so he could zap you with lightning, right? That's the way I pictured God. I pictured him like just this angry, iron-fisted, like you know the game at the arcade where you hit the, the gophers or whatever, like with the hammer? That's kind of the way I pictured God. Like every time you mess up, bam, 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 just, just kind of hitting you over the head. But that's not who God is. Second Corinthians chapter one says it this way. And I love, I love this line here. It says, he's the father of compassion. Can you, can you get that with me? He's the father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort. That doesn't sound like a mean God. That doesn't sound like a God who's just waiting for us to mess up. No, he's a, he's a God of compassion, a God of all comfort. So we have to trust his nature, that God is good. But secondly, we have to trust his promises. You know that? Did you know that God has promises for you? His word is full of promises. What are his promises? He says in his word that he will fight for you. 
He said that he, he gives strength to the weary. Are you broken? Are you weary? He gives you strength. He said he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He has a future and a hope for you. He said that he would meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He said that if you would delight yourself in him, he would give you the desires of your heart. He said that he's working out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Those are some promises for you. When you're going through a moment, a bad day, a bad season, trust in his promises that he is good and something good can come out of this somehow, some way. The second Corinthians, I love this. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, and he's made a lot of them, no matter how many promises he's made, they are yes and amen. I love that. All of his promises are yes and amen. The third thing that, the third way that you can trust him is to trust in his final destination. Not, not the movie final destination. You know what I'm talking about, like, No, the final destination of heaven. That heaven is better than earth. Come on, somebody. Heaven is better than earth. I love the Apostle Paul. And I love his outlook on life because he went through some bad days on earth. The scripture says that that he suffered 39... the 39 lashes five times. So you remember Jesus was beaten with 39 lashes one time. Paul had it five times. And history tells us that, that they believed that 40 lashes were enough to kill a man. So that's why they gave you 39. Because if they killed you, then they were guilty of murder. So they would just back it, up, back it off a little bit. Hey, we're just going to give you 39 instead. Well, thanks for that. I appreciate it, right? He got 39 lashes five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned one time. And we're not talking recreationally stoned. He was this pelted with stones. They threw rocks at, at Paul. He was, he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. And, and this guy, this guy went through some stuff, but his mind, his eyes were always on his final destination. I love what he says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, hey, we don't lose heart. After all that Paul has gone through, we don't lose heart. I mean, though we're wasting away outwardly, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. I love this. This is how he looked at his problems, guys. He said, for our light and momentary troubles. I don't know if I would call getting beaten five times with 39 lashes light and momentary. But that's what Paul said. He said, our light and momentary troubles, the things that we're going through right now, are achieving us an eternal glory. We might not be able to see the result of it now, but that glory far outweighs everything else. So here's what we do. We fix our eyes not on what we can see, but on what is unseen, because what we can see is temporary. Come on, y'all. What you're going through is temporary. It, all, it won't always be like that. But what is unseen is eternal. Focus on that. Fix your eyes on the eternal. That heaven is better than earth. Jesus experienced the worst on earth so that you could experience the best of heaven. That's good news right there. That's good news. So we trust during the tragedy. I believe God calls us also to to learn in the lesson. I don't think that God brings the pain that that we face it, he allows it to happen, 
And many times I don't know why he allows it to happen. But here's what I do know, that he can teach you something in the pain. He can teach you something if you're willing to be a student, if you're willing to learn in the lesson. Now, about a little over six years ago, we went through some bad days. And God was teaching us something in those bad days. We went through some bad days where right before a big Christmas event at our church, where, where my whole family was involved in this Christmas event, that same weekend, our three boys, we only had three at the time, and all three of them got E. coli from eating at a certain fast food restaurant whose last name rhymes with hell. And uh, I'll just let that sink in for a minute. And I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm telling you this story. It's It's true. So we're, we're get, getting ready for this big weekend. We had, we had got, gotten drive-through blank restaurant, and, and we went to the church, and we ate, and the boys had beef tacos, and I had the chicken cantina bowl. And, and over the weekend, by Saturday, they start showing symptoms that something's not right. This is not good. It's too graphic to tell you the details, but it was bad, y'all. I, I had never seen something like this. And Garrett, our oldest... He, he was so weak and in so much pain, they had to hospitalize him. So he spent, he spent two days at Children's Hospital in Birmingham. And they, they realized he had E. coli. They almost sent him home with like, hey, no big deal, you're good. And we're like, no, something's wrong. You've got to keep him. And so he's also dehydrated. They're getting him back to normal, and, and they discharge him two days later. And on our way home, an hour's drive back home from Birmingham, we get a phone call that our middle son, Gavin, has E. coli, but his situation is more severe. He also has HUSTTP, which is uh, hemolytic, uh, hemolytic uremic syndrome. And if I understand correctly, in his case, it was kind of like a web had formed around his kidneys, and it was filtering out the plasma and the, and the platelets, and his kidneys were failing as a three-year-old. And the doctor said, if things don't look good now. If they get any worse, we're going to have to put him on dialysis. And he'll have to have blood transfusions. And he'll have to have plasma transfusions. And I'm, man, I'm, we're like, why? why? God, why, why is this going on? Why in the middle of everything that you're doing, why are, we, why are we having to deal with this? So he's in the hospital for two days. And miraculously, his numbers get better. His doctor was an atheist, and he, he said, I, I can't explain it, but his numbers are getting better. Yay, God, right? Yay, God. But while we're in the hospital, we get the call that Gideon, our youngest son at the time, also had E. coli. And, and we had questions during that moment. We were wondering, why God? Why, why in the middle of this? Why at this big moment we missed this big thing that you wanted us to be part of uh, at church? Why, God? And he taught me a couple lessons. The first one was to never eat at Taco Hell again, <laughs> ever again. And I can stand here today and tell you with confidence in, in over six years, we haven't been back and we ain't figuring to go back, <laughs> right? We're not going back. But, uh, uh, and here's a little side note. Uh, 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 one time, some friends of ours, we were over at their house and they had like a bunch of taco stuff left over and they're like hey take this with you take it home and and we're like no we're good we, we don't need we're, we're fine we, we're, we have plenty to eat at home no 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 and they insisted and so we took it home and threw it in the trash 
went right in the track. Some, sometimes our boys have been with friends and they'll go through the, go, go to the restaurant and, uh, and my boys won't eat. And they're like, are you sure you don't want something to eat, honey? I mean, and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. But, but on a more serious note, God did teach us in that moment that, man, we got to trust him. We got to learn something in the lesson. All right, God, what are you trying to teach me? And the lesson that I got out of that moment was that when you're stepping out in faith, when you're doing something that God's called you to do, the enemy's going to oppose you. He's going to come against you. And if he can't get to you, he'll get to people around you. And so it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare that we're in. Not, not everything, there's not a devil under every rock, but there is a spiritual element to everything that you go through. And you got to be prayed up and you got to be ready. And, and, and so that taught me ever since that moment, when we come around to big events like Christmas and Easter, I just kind of expect, all right, devil, what you got? We're ready for you. No weapon formed against me prospers. You learn a lesson through the process. Pastor Levi Lusco he says that pain is a passport that will take you places that you couldn't have gotten any other way. It's a passport. When you go through a bad day, it'll take you places. It'll teach you something if you're willing to be a student. And so I would say it this way. Don't let your pain go to waste. Whatever you're going through, at the end of the day, don't look back on your life and say, I didn't get anything out of that. Learn something in the process. Number three, I believe God wants to wants to help us in this area. He wants us to rely on the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on. He wants us to rely on the Holy Spirit. When you're going through something, rely on the Holy Spirit. So who's this Holy Spirit, right? And in the church world, we really don't, we, a lot of churches aren't talking about the Holy Spirit because we kind of, he got a bad rap, you know what I mean? You may feel surrounded by darkness. You may be, feel surrounded by a bad day, but can I tell you, the Holy Spirit's greater than the bad day, and he's surrounding you too. He's surrounding you. The scripture says in, uh, in Romans, I believe it is, Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's what the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us. That's why we have to rely on him. So the Holy Spirit doesn't get a lot of pub these days. And I think it's because we haven't been properly introduced to, who, to the Holy Spirit, to who he is, to what he does in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit is, is part of what we call the, the Trinity. The, you may have heard it said as the triune Godhead. He, it, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and who else is there? God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, Right? There's God, the Holy Spirit. He's just as much God as Jesus is God, as the Father is God. The Holy Spirit. But we've, we've kind of stiff-armed him a little bit and said, I don't know if I want that because I saw that one church and they were acting this way and they did these things and I don't know if I want to be associated with, with the weird stuff, right? But let me reintroduce you to who the Holy Spirit is and, and his role in our life. You see, the Holy Spirit is... I'm going to burst your bubble for just a second. Is that okay? Jesus it does not live in your heart. <gasps> Blasphemy. But we, we pray that, ask Jesus into your heart kind of a thing. But really, remember Jesus, according to Romans 12, verse 2, is where? At the right hand of the Father. He, he doesn't live in our heart. He, in fact, sent the Holy Spirit to be with you and dwell in you. So, so it's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you now. The Holy Spirit is with you. So why do I need to rely on the Holy Spirit? 
And if you've been stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, I would say, don't, don't stiff-arm him anymore. Just, just let him in. Let the Holy Spirit in because here's what the Holy Spirit does for you. Why you need the Holy Spirit, why you need to rely on him is because he's your comforter. He's your counselor. When you're going through a bad day, he is your helper. When you don't know, when you don't understand what the deal is, he's your teacher. When you've got a sin problem, he convicts you of the sin. When you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, he guides you in all truth. He equips you with spiritual gifts. He fills us. He empowers us. He produces fruit inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. He produces that in us. I don't know about you, but I need that in my life. I need the Holy Spirit's power in me. I've got to rely on the Spirit. The Scripture says in Romans chapter 15, it says, I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust Him. So let's dissect that. You're going to be filled with joy and peace because you trust God. And also because you trust him, you will overflow with confident hope through who? The power of the Holy Spirit. Where does the confident hope come from? The power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need him in our lives. We've got to rely on him in our lives. So when you're going through a bad day, trust. When you're going through a bad day, learn something along the way. Don't let it be for naught. When you're, when you're going through a bad season, rely on the Holy Spirit and then the last thing is, when you're going through a bad day, worship in the why. During your why, when you're asking God why, God, why is this going on? Why am I dealing with this? Worship in the why. Man, this is good stuff right here. I'm telling you, worship in the why. What do you mean worship, Ben? I'm going through this pain. I've got this heartache. I've got these issues. I don't feel like worshiping. Well, worship... A sacrifice is not worshiping God when you don't feel like it. A sacrifice is giving God your best. A sacrifice is giving him your, your absolute best. It's not that you don't feel like it. It's leaving everything else to the side, abandoning everything else and saying, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't have words for it, but God, I'm just going to worship. I'm telling you that some of my greatest breakthroughs in life have come when I worship God. When it's just me and the Lord going down the, the, the freeway, when I'm sitting on the front row, when I'm standing and worshiping on the front row at City Hope, man, some of my greatest breakthroughs have come through worship. There's a family that, that attends our church, and, and last year, she lost her father unexpectedly. Sammy Almanza was a family friend of ours, and he died early in life because of a heart attack. But one thing was different about Sammy was he was a worshiper. He loved to worship God. And at his funeral, they had a funeral like I'd never seen before. It was all-out worship service. Three songs like we had earlier here today. And at his funeral, I've sat just a few rows back from the family, and Sammy's son-in-law is leading worship. His son is playing drums. His daughters are on the front row with their families and kids just worshiping God. No, they weren't just sitting down. Their hands were lifted. They were singing in the middle of their why, in the middle of what they didn't understand, in the middle of their confusion and their pain and their heartache. They were worshiping. They were getting breakthrough. And I'm telling you, 
that breakthrough is for you too. It's for you too. Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we've, we're receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God. How do we please God? By worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Here's what I think that means, that when you worship, when you break through and when you say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to worship you anyway. I don't, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I'm going to worship you anyway. His devouring fire will burn up all the hurt. It'll burn up all the fear. It'll burn up all the anxiety. It'll burn up all of the pain and all of the depression and all of the heartache. It'll burn up all of the worry and all the doubt. It'll burn that up when you press through and when you worship. Amen? Psalm chapter 22 is, it's a messianic prophecy. This is written by King David some thousand years before Jesus. But this prophecy, this, this scripture, Psalm 22, is it's powerful because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why have you forsaken me? But David said it first. This whole chapter of Psalm 22, you can line it up with Jesus' crucifixion and see the parallels. David said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted David. In in Psalm 22, it talks about casting lot for Jesus' clothes. It talks about his bones being out of joint but not broken. It it talks about, God, why why have you let me down? So in this same scripture, King David says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers to my sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. What's the assembled people right here at City Hope? This is the assembled people. I'll praise you at church. I'll lift your name up when things aren't going well. Skip on down to here because it it says, for he has not ignored or belittled those who are suffering. He hasn't ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. No, he hasn't turned his back on you. He hasn't belittled or ignored you. No, he has listened to your cries for help. He hears you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. And here's what I know, that in your bad day, I know you may be hopeless. Not everybody here is having a bad day. I get it. But if you're having a bad day, I know that it can turn to hopelessness. Darkness can set in. You can feel like Jesus hanging on the cross. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me alone? And it's in that moment that you've got to worship. It's in that moment that you've got to press through. Amen.